Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another beautiful summer week from Wisconsin. Although hopefully y'all made it through the storms last night. We record Thursday morning. Uh, it was uh, quite a storm that swept through our state. We hope everybody uh, made it through safe and everybody's doing all right. But with that, folks, we have our full panel this week, week which means Claire Zauke is with us. Claire is our healthcare director here at Citizen Action. Claire, good to have you. Thank you. Good to be here. And Robert Craig, executive director at Citizen Action, is with us. Robert, good to see you in your Badger Red t-shirt or uh, shirt today. Hey, good day, everyone. It's always a good Badger Red day. I'm not sure about Packer Green and Gold, but uh, oh. I guess it depends on interpretations of uh, the amazing remarks by the Hall of Fame quarterback. Oh, Robert, we could definitely be distracted. That was, let's just say it, it was a historic press conference. Uh, <laughs> anyways, with that, we have a lot to talk about this week. I'm going to start, though, by saying uh, this week we will not have a, a U.S. Senate candidate interview. We will pick that back up next week, just a couple of scheduling snafus on our front, but uh, we're looking forward to uh, we're, we, we should have uh, Treasurer Goodlewski next week, uh, and we're going to continue to interview U.S. Senate Democratic candidates. But, folks, there is a ton to talk about. A lot of news broke in the last 24 hours. At the federal level, we have been talking extensively uh, the last month or so about the infrastructure bill, both the bipartisan bill and also the $3.5 trillion what's being called human infrastructure uh, bill that is going to move under budget rules. And Claire, you have been really good at sort of laying out the specifics, the details of what's happening uh, in this. So what happened yesterday, essentially on Wednesday was we're moving forward with the details of what appears to be about a trillion dollar package. Give our listeners real quick, some of the highlights of the details of how this is maybe a little different, but what, what we're talking about here in this uh bipartisan package that appears to be moving forward. Absolutely. So to give folks a reminder of what has happened, um, a while back, uh, many, it feels like many months ago, um, the president introduced a, uh, an infrastructure a plan, basically. But because the president doesn't get to actually write legislation, it was just sort of his roadmap, his plan saying, this is what I would like to do. Um, and then it became uh, incumbent upon him and uh, legislators to come together and decide like, what is the actual bill, the actual legislative package that we're going to write um, and that we want to uh, introduce for debate and votes. And um, sort of a milestone in that process was reached yesterday in that the president and a group of senators, uh, moderate senators from both the Democratic and Republican Party, I think it's important to note because we'll get into political context about how um, progressives are feeling about this, um, came to an agreement about what should be in the legislation yesterday and then voted, or I should say yesterday when we're recording this, Wednesday, um, and then um, took a vote to move forward with the process and the debate. So it's important to note that this is now like the legislation is being drafted and we know it's going to be in it, um, but there hasn't been a final, a final vote on it yet. Um, and, they, and they do need to get 60 votes to pass this uh, package. Um, I think it's important to note that 
Um, progressives were hoping that this would have a, uh, but this leg legislation would take a much broader definition of what infrastructure is. And this bill, um, because it was an agreement struck between the president and more moderates in the Senate, has basically fallen back to being a pretty traditional infrastructure package. Um, so the largest chunk of this trillion dollar uh, package will be $110 billion for roads and bridges, for example, um, a bunch of money for public transit, for broadband, uh, broadband internet uh, expansion, um, a much smaller amount of money than was hoped for um, vehicle, electric vehicle charging stations and um, transitioning diesel vehicles like school buses to electrics and hybrids, um, and a bunch of other smaller things like upgrading the energy infrastructure. Um, and some water management. But again, like very traditional infrastructure things. Um, and uh, I, I know we're gonna have a, a good discussion <laughs> about how we feel about all of this. Yeah, and uh, Robert, before we dive into that, just wanted to give you an opportunity to get started with just some of your quick thoughts about um, where we are in this. This has all along been a two-track strategy. This was never the entire infrastructure strategy. The Build Back Better plan from Biden can only be done uh, with this because it's way too small and it's way too traditional, too much 1950s and 1960s style infrastructure, not enough what we need and too limited into what is infrastructure. Uh, but we have a part of the uh, party, and Biden at least feels that way too, that craves bipartisanship. So the idea is we do a bipartisan part with moderate Republicans, open question whether they'll all actually vote for it and whether some of them are voting for it because they're trying to delay this out and prevent the bigger bill. And then passing what we really need, much uh, probably more uh, at this point, as it's come through Senator Sanders' budget committee, even bolder than the, the Build Back Better plan, a reconciliation package that only requires 50 votes and gets around the filibuster all with Democrats. And the unofficial deal that makes it work is that all of the moderates, including Manchin and Cinema, have to vote for the reconciliation package or progressives will kill the bipartisan package because it doesn't meet any of our standards, including on climate. In fact, there's a no climate, no deal pledge of the progressive members of the Senate and the House of Representatives, and they've been very clear that they will vote against this unless they are both. And so where we are right now is I thought and Manchin signal this, this might suggest a democratic deal. Now, the problem is the Republicans want to block reconciliation so they could pull out of the other one. And so that complicates it. But at this, but then you have Senator Cinema, who I think is the real wild card here more than Manchin. I think some of these may be in some ways gender bias, right? Because we assume the woman will not be strong. She came out and said she's against the reconciliation package. And immediately, AOC and other progressives have said, well, then you just killed your own bipartisan plan because it will not pass the House. And Nancy Pelosi, to her credit, is in alliance with the Progressive Caucus. There's a real connection now between both the Democratic Party and she won't move the bipartisan bill without the, um, without, without the reconciliation bill also moving in the, House, in the Senate. And therefore, it's a choice for Senator Sinema and maybe other moderates who are more quiet mansion whether they want this or not or whether they want to say they got it and blame their own party colleagues for not getting their bipartisan plan and by the way they need to hold firm when republicans may pull out of the deal because they have a tantrum when they with the reconciliation package moves as well so yeah i mean 
it's very interesting. This helps explain potentially why we had 67 votes uh, yesterday for this. Robert, you mentioned this idea that potentially it's a stalling plan, right? And they're waiting for the democratic implosion. And and so the question is cinema and making sure that cinema is sent very clear messages. And and to Pelosi's credit yesterday, she was very clear. We're going to continue to keep these things aligned uh, as the Progressive Caucus uh, has been demanding. And let's just again point out, as both of you have, that the only reason this is playing out this way is that there is a legitimate progressive caucus in the House of Representatives that is holding firm and that someone like Nancy Pelosi, Leader Pelosi, understands that and has been really solid here. And I think that that's, you know, I say that it, I think that's very important, but all of that has to come together in order to make any of this work. Um, Claire, I want to give you an opportunity for a couple more thoughts. We've got a couple minutes, but before I do, I just want to throw one other thing in the mix, and that's I want to raise for ourselves why the 3.5 is so important, not only what's in there, but just look, folks, the pay for on this current infrastructure bill, it's pretty much, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not really great from a progressive standpoint. A lot of it, over to, uh, $200 billion is coming from already COVID-19 relief funds, but I want to flag a big thing they're expecting to get about 50 billion from fraudulently paid unemployment benefits during the pandemic, which means they're going to go after largely working people uh, to go get that money. And we've had this discussion about how bad unemployment insurance has been, not only in Wisconsin, but across this country and how challenging it has been for people. Uh, and we've already been critical of the state going after folks like this uh, really aggressively. Do not like this aspect of the pay. Apparently, this was something that was uh, Portman was really big behind. Um, Claire, I'm going to give you an opportunity after the break to come back to you to get some more of your thoughts on this bill and this whole package, particularly the $3.5 trillion piece. But we got to take a break. So we'll talk, we're going to talk more about this really important congressional stuff that's going on. Um, Want to remind our listeners that uh, you can also find us uh, on a number of different social media platforms, both Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Please, folks, um, we're very active on those platforms. Uh, Check us out. But with that, we got to take our first break. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're talking about the, let's just say it, it's, it's historic these infrastructure bills that are moving. Again, one is a bipartisan, very clear infrastructure bill that we've been talking about that uh, made major progress and movement in in the Senate yesterday, Wednesday, and also what we're calling the human infrastructure bill that will be moving through budget rules that we need uh, all the Democrats to hold hold behind in order to pass. Claire, wanted to go back to you and get more of your thoughts on uh, these bills and the state of them and where we're at. So I think um, the points that I want to make are this. Um, First, like I said, when President Biden introduced his infrastructure plan um, uh, a while back, there was originally a lot of things in it that are not in it now, right? Um, So, for example, um, there was a ton of money in there um, for... Uh, increasing wages for home and community-based workers. Um, There was a lot of money in there for housing 
and uh, buildings, a lot of money in there for research and development for new types of manufacturing, a lot of money for clean energy tax credits. All of that got cut. None of that is in the new infrastructure bill. Um, as part of the compromise. Um, and that's why, to Robert's point, it's important that we continue to be engaged on and support the budget reconciliation process, which is the $3.5 trillion package um, that uh, Matt keeps referring to. Because a lot of our progressive priorities that had to get cut from this traditional infrastructure bill in order to pull all of this capital investment, like um, investing in roads and bridges and stuff, um, into its own piece of legislation that would get support from both parties um, for for reasons um, uh, like we needed we needed that to be paired i'm guessing that we needed this bill to be pared down in order to get that billion dollars that everybody could agree with into its own bill get that passed um, because otherwise the budget reconciliation bill would have been too big and there's a lot of limits on how big the budget reconciliation bills can be. So not everything could have gone through that process. I'm guessing that's why it was important that this infrastructure bill be this particular size and pared down to just the things everybody agrees on. Um, the second point I wanna make is um, that it's interesting how this bill is, this infrastructure package is being paid for. And I think it shows the priorities of the uh, Republican members of Congress and the moderate um, Democrats in um, the Senate, because in the original proposal from the president, there were actually some interesting funding mechanisms that I, I think could have been sort of progressive funding mechanisms that got cut. Um, the biggest one was investing uh, more money into the IRS, like fully funding um, the IRS so that the IRS could do their job and track down wealthy tax cheats. Because right now the IRS is so underfunded that they can't do their job effectively and it's much, much easier for wealthy folks to skirt paying taxes. And so it feels counterintuitive to say, let's put money into something and then that's going to give us more money. But that's what the IRS is, like put more money into the IRS and they will bring like a bunch more money back. And so that funding mechanism got cut because, of course, um, you know, the folks striking this deal um, are protecting um, the interests of the wealthy. Um, but then a funding mechanism that did get added, albeit for a, a smaller amount of money, is um, drawing down on um, uh, overpayments and wrongful payments for unemployment benefits, I think before the pandemic, thankfully. Um, but still, like, it kind of shows that they're willing to scrape back a little bit of money from regular folks, um, but they're not willing to um, take money that is rightfully ours, rightfully public money um, from wealthy folks who are not paying their taxes appropriately. Um, so that's, uh, that's really unfortunate uh, in my mind. Yeah, to totally agree. Robert? Uh, to amplify some of what Claire said, when she said the importance of engagement, we have a more organized inside game on the left in Congress, the House and the Senate that we've had since the 1960s. And they are standing firm. Some folks have left have attacked them for not being throwing enough bombs. They've been very, very strategic. They, and you see they have Nancy Pelosi, we talked about earlier. So they are holding the line that you can have your bipartisan bill if we get to do what we really need to do through reconciliation. If you, the moderate Democrats, won't support that, then you won't get what you want either. 
And we need to understand that Joe Manchin is a conservative Democrat. His fundraising has spiked massively during this process. So he, the, the old school thing of going to town, you know what interests are paying him in order to make sure of things like we will not have the IRS beefed up, as Claire talked about. That's going on, but we need him. And we're in coalition with him, for better or for worse, because the Democratic Party is a big tent party, from Bernie Sanders to Manchin and Cinema, the Republican Party is not. Uh, and so that's where we are. But progressive power and the outside game needs to be aligned. They don't have the money to move it. They don't have the big lobbyists. They rely on us. So we need to be pushing every single activist, every single organization in August and September to get the full reconciliation package and no climate, no deal. Um, the child tax credit is not in the infrastructure package that reduced child poverty 45%. That's going to be in reconciliation. Uh, Claire talked about a number of other issues that are not in it. There's going to be a lot of health care in this package, but there's also a lot of the real climate investments that are not nearly significant enough for the scale of the situation as, uh, as are needed. The reconciliation package is not everything we need either, but it's actually a major step in the right direction, bigger than what we've ever taken. And it's the radical end of the possible right now, which is where we need to be. So now it's not only collecting money. Remember, debt on arrival was reversing the Trump tax cuts, which were giant corporate, biggest corporate tax giveaway ever without any strings attached. And this group of conservative Democrats and allegedly moderate Republicans, that was a no-go. And you know what? It makes the bill more popular. It's the most popular element of the Build Back agenda, according to polling. So the people want the wealthy corporations that pay their fair share. The wealthy corporations have a outsized role in the process because of the big money system and because of a number of Democrat Republicans whose business model is to represent them and not their only constituents and get away with it. Folks, we're going to continue to track the process of these uh, critical bills. Um, we are expecting the bipartisan one to move swiftly. We shall see. We'll, we'll talk more about it next week and see where we're at. But uh, Claire, got to come to you real quick. Uh, there's an important birthday coming up. Uh, it's not mine. I can tell you, I wish it was my birthday. I'd be happy to take all kinds of gifts, but somebody else has a birthday that you wanted to chat about. Yes, it is the anniversary of Medicare and Medicaid. <laughs> oh boy, yes, healthcare. <laughs> the birthday of Medicare and Medicaid, um, the 56th birthday to be uh, specific. And that is uh, officially July 30th, which I think is the day this podcast comes out. So um, if you're listening to this right now, give a little whoop in celebration of these uh, important programs that cover uh, over 62 million uh, people in this country. Um, or Medicare alone, I should say, covers over 62 million people in the country. Between the two of them, I think it's more like 140 million people. Um, and in Wisconsin, Medicare alone covers about 1.2 million people um, in this state. And uh, I think we'd be remiss without um, stopping for a moment to recognize the role that these two programs 
uh, play in the health of our community and our society. Uh, and then also to recognize how wonderful it is that we are in a political moment where all of a sudden the conversation has shifted from needing to defend Medicare and Medicaid against uh, defunding and privatization to being able to now have a conversation like we just had um, and have been having for weeks about how we can strengthen and invest in these two programs. Um, so really quickly before break, I'm going to say the things that we are the most excited about that are um, happening and moving forward, we hope, in this $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation bill in the Senate include um, expanding Medicare coverage to include dental, vision, and hearing, which, oh my gosh, of course they should. Um, three things that are attached to our bodies and should absolutely be covered under medical coverage in Medicare. Um, and then also expanding um, Medicaid through a federal direct coverage option, a la the Medicaid Saves Lives Act that was sponsored by our very own Senator Tammy Baldwin um, that would support people in the Badger Care expansion gap here in Wisconsin, people between 100 and 138% of the federal poverty line, as I'm sure you've heard me talk about um, for a while. Um, so, uh, and then the third thing is of course using Medicare to lower prescription drug prices by negotiating with pharmaceutical companies for uh, for some savings there and then passing those savings down to consumers. Um, so all of those things are in the budget reconciliation bill and all of those will strengthen Medicare and Medicaid. Um, we got to keep advocating for them. With that though, I got to, as the host, occasionally advocate for a break. We got to do that. I want to tell our listeners again, you are listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Uh, we are talking about things that are happening at the federal level, uh, and we're about to transition to the state. But uh, before the break, Claire was mentioning Tammy Baldwin, Robert uh, Senator Baldwin made some other really important news this week related to uh, Purdue Pharma. Would you please update our listeners? So just as the plutocrats have rigged our tax system and even prevented the IRS from being able to collect their taxes, and they're the ones who are going to hire the army of accountants to prevent it, uh, they also find a way to kill people get them addicted to a dangerous drug, and then avoid any liability and accountability. So what the Seckler family has done is they made a massive amount of money uh, by basically pill pushing, by promoting opiates and getting people addicted, spending a ton of money to do it. So they're now basically offering a bunch of states what amounts to a bribe. That is, we're going to give you what looks like a lot of money but we're going to keep most of the ill-gotten gains and we're going to have no liability. And you know what? That doesn't happen to regular people. The Secklers are giving massive donations to, to art galleries and huge cultural institutions, putting their names on things with blood money. And so and they knew this. It was all deliberate and malicious. And so Tammy Baldwin and she's part of the block of 10 progressive senators that are standing together as well as the House Congressional Progressive Caucus has come out against the settlement. And so that is great. It's great to have an advocate like Tammy Baldwin in the Senate. And as you know, one of the great uh, 
projects of the of progressives in Wisconsin in the next uh, year and a half is to get her a senator that actually would work with her on this and not be a friend of the settlers and not a friend of, of the people. And by the way, it did huge, huge amounts of damage to our health uh, infrastructure. The states and localities spent huge amounts of money trying to cope with this, and it damaged lives dramatically. It, there are a lot of people who don't have loved ones or people who are permanently damaged just so the settlers, knowing full well, could make their billions and billions and, uh, and have intergenerational wealth. And it used to, that used to be something after World War II, maybe to mid-70s, that was socially unacceptable. Now it makes them people who probably get all sorts of awards from people who are anxious to, uh, to cozy up to the new aristocracy in the United States, the billionaire class. With that, we're going to transition to looking at what's been going on in our state this week. There was definitely a lot of news and activity. Um, the biggest news was that the Republicans uh, sort of had their, their true masters uh, uh, unfortunately announced too early that they were going to have a surprise special session to override a veto of the governors, uh, and that would be a veto for the $300 a week pandemic-related unemployment benefits. What do you know that topic comes up again, unemployment? There seems to be a pattern here of Republicans <laughs> trying to go after people's unemployment. But um, it was very interesting this week. Uh, the, the Chamber of Commerce actually uh, spilt the beans on this. It also probably helped make sure all the Democrats could get back to the legislature in time. Um, but there were, uh, this obviously failed. Uh, and it was also the same week um, that, uh, and I want to get both of get both of you an opportunity to respond to this. Um, we saw the Republican chair of the elections committee push, you know, lies one just flat out lies about the election in the pursuit of these ridiculous Arizona style forensic audits of our election system, which is a joke. Uh, Claire, I wanted to give you a first opportunity to chat about, let's just say it, straight up all politics this week uh, and actually nothing, nothing actually accomplishing other than people posturing. I, I would first of all like to say that um, I cannot believe that we are still talking about this big lie of election fraud. I, we are just, we are so, we are almost a year past the 2020 elections, right? We are three quarters of a year past it. Um, you know, we're half a year past the spring election. Like, we are just so far past this. Like, people have been sworn in and have been governing and introducing major legislation. And, you know, no one has turned up a shred of evidence to support sort of mass conspiracy theories or anything. And yet you have people like Janelle Branchin from Menominee Falls who are who are just so fixated on this issue that that they that they just won't let it go like a dog with a bone just um, uh, holding on for dear life to this thing. And it's a shame that this is where our legislators' priorities lie instead of actually doing their jobs to, to govern and make our state a better place to live and support the people of, of Wisconsin. Um, 
So, um, yeah, so this week, um, Janelle Branchin, who is uh, was appointed by Robin Voss to be the chair of the Assembly um, Campaigns and Election Committee, announced that she wants to um, initiate a more, quote, intensive investigation of possible fraud because the regular intensity investigation didn't turn anything up. It is mind boggling. Yeah. Yeah. Look, and we've talked about this uh, before about Robin Voss, um, who has enabled all of this, right? First with gerrymandered districts that these folks aren't accountable. Uh, but we've talked before about this QAnon caucus that is really coming after Voss. And here's another case. I'm sure this wasn't Voss's first idea of what he wanted to do, but he was in absolutely no position to stop it. Robert? I disagree with uh, one thing Claire worded. She was talking about different conspiracies. She said there's no great conspiracy. There is. It's led by people like 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 Representative Brandigan. Actually, they're just pawns. It's led by the deposed president, former president of the United States. And this is the Arizona conspiracy being brought to Wisconsin and other states. And now there's new information being released. Uh, blockbuster stories just yesterday about all Donald Trump did to try to make the, the, the Justice Department carry on his conspiracy and to uh, try to steal the vote back. There is an attempt to steal the vote, and she's part of that conspiracy. And Voss's problem is Voss is a, is a hard right guy, okay? He is not a moderate. But now it, it's too crazy for him, and they made John Boehner him eventually. John Boehner couldn't keep it together because he couldn't be. Freedom Caucus enough. And currently, if, if the former president in Mar-a-Lago, you know, the, the president in exile wants something, then they're going to do it and they're going to carry this out. And but Voss has done a lot to advance this. He has appointed the disgraced former state Supreme Court Justice Michael Gableman, the author of a Willie Horton style ad to get elected in the first place to lead a sleazy investigation to find fraud. No fraud has been found. It doesn't matter. Uh, cable on the rational side, national cable is making fun of the Republicans, but talking about them as part of the threat. And so we need to be wary. We can make fun of them. We can say it's ridiculous. Their plan, because this is the ultimate end of the conspiracy, it is not, as QAnon says, that Donald Trump is going to retake power. I think it's August 19th. I don't think that's happening. Just a prediction here, a hot prediction right here. Um, I think it is, okay, beat Tony Evers if he's the only candidate. Maybe there's a primary. I don't know. I don't know of a primary. So assuming the incumbent governor is the nominee, beat Tony Evers, get full control, and give the legislature and the governor control of the election apparatus so they can rig Dane County and Milwaukee County and other counties like Eau Claire and La Crosse County that are heavily Democratic, and make sure that Donald Trump or the Trump heir apparent wins the presidency, whether he wins the popular vote, he or she wins the popular vote in Wisconsin or not. That is the ultimate end of the conspiracy, not this audit, cyber forensic audit after the completely disgraceful, the Arizona thing goes on and on, and they're making more subpoenas because they can't find anything, even with this and they've completely spoiled all the election equipment and the ballots. And they continue to get warnings, the state of Arizona from the Department of Justice, how they're violating federal election law. Well, it just proceeds because unlike too many Democrats, 
nothing stops them from trying to grab power and hold it and ruthlessly uh, exercise it. I also want to remind folks that this is also their electoral strategy. They understand they're heading into an off-year election. They saw that Trump was able to continue to gin up more and more turnout, even in the 2020 election, right? The the, the polls being off was, was, was a misunderstanding of how he was going to increase turnout. We've talked about this as it relates to Ron Johnson, and we're going to talk more about Ron Johnson. This is a deliberate election strategy to turn out and gin up a base uh, in an off-year election to accomplish what Robert just laid out there. Um, in it, you know, so it, it, it makes perfect sense uh, that they would uh, be doing this. Um, all right. Well, and with that, folks, we got to take our third break. Again, you are listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're everywhere. Want to also encourage you to consider joining one of our organizing co-ops. We have got co-ops throughout the state. We'll have a link to that on our website. Please get involved. Again, you're listening to Citizen Action's Battleground Wisconsin. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. We have got to talk about our health. We have been constantly talking about the pandemic, talking about the latest sort of health guidance. And Claire, you're always sort of our lead on that. There was really big news this week. The CDC, let's just say it, they're not the greatest in public relations or thinking about this. They Science is their jam. Uh, and they came out this week with recommendations uh, that folks, including the vaccinated, particularly in areas where we have high infection rates uh, and low vaccination rates, uh, wear masks indoors. Claire? Yeah, so uh, I want to give some context here, right, which is the reason why um, the CDC is going back to recommending that folks uh, wear masks, uh, whether or not they are um, vaccinated, um, which, I mean, can we just say that like on this podcast, we said that this was going to happen. And we said months ago when the CDC was like, oh, unvac or vaccinated people can stop wearing masks inside. Like we said, this is going to be a problem and this is going to create public policy chaos and confusion. Um, and it has, right? Like we now, we have predicted the future and now we are in that future uh, and that is the present. Um, and, um, why now the CDC is coming out and saying actually folks should continue to wear masks regardless of whether they're vaccinated um, is because this virus and the Delta variant, which is much, much more contagious than even the already contagious original variants of, of COVID-19, um, is spreading really rapidly. And to give you some context for that, on, um, on the 27th, July 27th, which is the most recent date as of this filming that the Wisconsin DHS website has updated their data tracker. There were 521 positive tests, new cases of COVID-19 in the state. And just a month before on uh, June like 19th, there were under 50. We went from 49 positive tests on June 19th to 521 new cases on July 27th. That is an 
exponential, like a thousand percent increase in the number of new cases in Wisconsin alone. That's how rapidly and sharply this is that we are entering a third or fourth wave. And Claire, can I add, like, that is with probably really low testing, right? Those largely a lot of people just aren't going and getting tested anymore. And, and what clearly is going on too and why, and I'll let you get back to why this must be so important, right? Is vaccinated folks are able to spread this and are clearly contracting it. We see it with athletes testing positive in sports and Olympics, right? That have been vaccinated. Uh, so yeah, clearly this is an issue. Sorry to interrupt, Claire. No, that's okay. I think that's um, that's important, right? Like people, I think forget sometimes or lose context of what a vaccine does, right? And um, vaccine developers, scientists, everybody have said since the very beginning that these vaccines are 100% effective at preventing serious illness and death, but a small number of people will still get sick. And that's normal with all vaccines. When I got the chickenpox vaccine at 13, my doctor was like, you could still get chicken. I remember so explicitly, you could still get chickenpox. It will just not scar. You'll have under 50 pox and they shouldn't itch as bad, right? So like vaccines don't, aren't supposed to like, you know, put an iron shield around your body, right? And so like, it is important for us to remember that even if we're vaccinated, we should still take precautions for ourselves and for others. Ron Johnson, on the other hand, said some foolish things this week, which we know is normal. So Ron Johnson, of course, is all in a tizzy because the CDC is advocating for public health. And so he comes out with this statement that says, do masks even work? Do they do more harm than good? Especially for children who have a low risk of serious disease from death or COVID? Like, yes, they do work. Like I, just to to have a US Senator with this platform who is so out of touch with reality is consistently alarming. Not surprising because now we know to expect this foolishness from him, um, but it's still alarming. I mean, how dare he? Do masks even work? Do they do more harm than good? No, they actively do no harm and a significant amount of good. And then he ends his statement by saying, it's time to let Americans, not federal agencies, make decisions for themselves and their children. It's time to reclaim liberty and end the state of fear, right? Which I think comes down to a fundamental ideological difference between somebody like Ron Johnson and folks like us, which is that, which is that like, this is not about fear. This is about saving lives, right? Like this is maybe fear of death and fear of this, virus spreading um but yeah yeah yeah. there's nothing to actually fear if everyone would get vaccinated we follow some basic science what is to fear is that we have people deliberately obfuscating the science and encouraging bad behavior robert yes so yes we called it on the cdc i saw the press conference live it was predictable um and i I know the Biden folks are saying they just follow the science, whether the CDC director did it or it was directed by the White House, no evidence was directed by the White House. She made a political decision to say they were making great progress. Someone made a political decision. No reporting out there that the White House did it. They're saying they were blindsided, but someone made a political decision. This was not a science decision to give the guidance she gave. And here's why it wasn't. The Delta variant was already taking off. We did not know whether unvaccinated people I uh, get enough when they when there's a breakthrough infection of a viral load to spread it, spread the disease. Now we know they do. So they never 
should have set up a condition where people who are vaccinated are mixing with unvaccinated people in public pla- in public places, particularly when we're only at 50% full vaccination. And so it was a terrible idea. They had to walk it back, but they gave the right an opening because now they're calling them flip-floppers. Uh, and so that's where we are right now. And the guidance is appropriate. It's the minimal thing. It's just guidance, okay? And by the way, they're mandating masks now in the U.S. House, in the U.S. House of Representatives. Their medical director required it. And there was a meltdown uh, about that on Wednesday and ridiculous speeches from Leader McCarthy, who wants to be speaker. So this is the Republican Party now. But let's take a step back. We, we can talk science till we're blue in the face. They don't care. Now, it's not new. It's not just Facebook. There's been what Richard Hofstetter called a paranoid style in American politics back to the beginning. It's been predominantly a right-wing movement. What really changed, and you know, obviously social media has made it worse, and the Biden administration, to its credit, wants to do real antitrust enforcement, has made great info- uh, appointments in the area of antitrust, something we've not done effectively in this country since the Reagan era. So that could be a start there. But it's bigger than that. Don't look at the people saying this. You know, the people who sound crazy from Missouri and Arkansas, you know, shouting down their own governor and the state's medical director in Arkansas, for example, don't, you know, there's always, people have always been susceptible to this when their side is sending out this signal. What's really happened in this country, and it's not just COVID-19, is that somewhere around the 1970s, where we built the, the greatest economic equality in American history, and had a lot of the gains, an equal portion of the gains going to workers in the middle class of a growing economy, the elites in this country decided they didn't like that and wanted to take it back and create the 19th century again. That is what the conspiracy is. And even starting earlier than that, in fact, it goes back to the 1920s, corporate America decided to lie to make profit. And things such as smoking is good for you and there's no climate disaster and lead paint is fine, That was a deliberate strategy. That's where this comes from. But it created a division among American elites. And what's happened is they have created, by doing this, the whole right-wing side of it, paranoid governance on half the country. In other words, the one of the two major parties and a party that has decided they can't win with open democracy and they have to eventually kill democracy with the first advanced industrial democracy. And by the way, you could argue we're not that old, that we've been a multiracial democracy since the 1960s and Jim Crow was ended. So we may, we're not really 200 years old as a multiracial democracy. But they're the first conservative party, major conservative party, decide that they are going, that in order to hold power, they need to basically end democratic rule. And that's what they're about doing. And the big question is whether Democrats have the unity, the whole party, to actually do something about it, because Congress can pass the For the People Act. That's where all this comes from. And that's why it's so disturbing that part of the Democratic Party is taking the money, like Joe Manchin, in order to do the bidding of plutocrats on infrastructure. But we still need his vote. So I say that about Joe Manchin, but we can still get his vote and need it. And we need to we need to win it soon. Well, we, we will continue to have that level of analysis, both the long term analysis, but also what we need to do immediately in order to win on the Battleground Wisconsin. We hope you keep listening to us. Uh, But before we go, do want to mention the absolutely huge decision uh, that came down yesterday uh, in Milwaukee County, Milwaukee County Circuit Judge 
found that there was probable cause to charge former Wauwatosa police officer, Joseph Mensah and the death of Jay Anderson. Um, it's a huge decision. We, as in Citizen Action, will be talking more about it next week on our other fantastic podcast called This Is Not That. It will come out next Tuesday. Uh, and uh, the, one of the journalists who's written some great stuff on this, Isaiah Holmes, is a, a panelist. And they're going to dive into not only the specifics of what came out of this case, but how and why this uh, really applies across the state in terms of how we handle uh, when there's a police shooting in Wisconsin. But with that, we got to wrap it up. You have been listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We really appreciate you. We also appreciate our producer, Brian Wilbridge, who makes this happen every week. We'll see you next week here from Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs>